No Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley. Thanks a lot, Adrian. Uh, proudly brought to you by Waverley Mercedes down at Springvale Road. You'll get a cheap deal. Just ask for Sean Evans and the guys down there. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce Monique Slade. Hey, Danny. How are you? Going well. And a lot of men out there are probably thinking, what? <laughs> I've got a beautiful young lady on. Um, and what's she doing on a men's health show? No man should ever walk alone. So before you hang up, guys, or get off the, the app, Monique's here to talk about a, a great story of her journey and, more importantly, how her partners can actually, and you guys out there, can actually pick up on someone that's going through some mental health issues or going through a bit of a tough time. So I think it's perfect timing leading into the end of our series uh, to get Monique on. So just a, a little bit of a background about yourself, Monique. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Danny. I think... You're right. I, I can hear a lot of guys probably sitting out there right now going, like what you the, said, yeah, why am I listening hell? to this? What what could she be saying? This is that flip side piece, isn't it? This is around um, what can you see when your partner, your wife, your sister, sometimes even your best friend is going through something. And, you know, It's not just in the men's space. This is around everyone experiences or can experience issues regarding their mental health and, and what to do and how to help look out for one another. And everyone knows my journey, and this uh, segment tonight is all about your journey, but I've known you for, for a while now, not a long time. And am I allowed to say that I was a, an obsessed little girl down at Moorabbin <laughs> back in the day? Is that the uh, no, the you're allowed to posters say that. of you on my wall, oh, you God. and um, Trevor? Tony Lockett, <laughs> the big fella. No, well, the first time I met you, I thought, my God, this girl is a go-getter. She she gets the job done. She's going a million miles an hour. And I kept thinking, gee, I know someone very close to me like that and in a former life. And we've still got to work on it, but you are a go-getter, aren't you? I am. I yeah. am. I, and I always have been. I think part of uh, my journey around starting to realize you know, that I had some issues was not being able to stop. And let's start on that, because I think okay. a lot of people say it just happens overnight when you have a bit of a downer or you, you've got some mental health issues or you get depression or you've had yeah. a nervous breakdown. They think it's, there's always a tipping point. Yeah. But your background's quite a, an interesting one from, from a very young age. So, so tell us about that journey. So from a very young age, I've, I have been, you know, a bit different. I think strength of character for me came from the upbringing I had. Um, I grew up out in Wonturna South. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. Now, Wonturna South back in the day, that was out in the sticks. It was. It's the middle of Melbourne now. It was. It was no man's land. But a really tight community. And I think also, too, back then, um, you know, we had parents who, you know, they weren't wealthy. They didn't have a lot of luxuries, but we had everything. Mm. We always had a family holiday. Mm. Dad always managed to get us away somewhere and mum. And they told us we could be anything. Mm. So there was this real go-getter attitude we were really brought up with from a young age. And I think we overcame so much in that journey. And then for me, you know, I always thought outside the square, Danny. I'm, I'm the kind mm. of girl that you said, a go-getter, yeah. but somebody who, who wants to do things differently. Um, I mean, for example, not many people know, they will know now. Mm. Um, I sent myself to a private school when I was... So tell us about <laughs> this. You had some inheritance money because your family, obviously, you just talked about yeah. your mum and dad did well, but they were 
No, they were surviving no, no, no. to survive. They were survivors. They yeah. were week to week, month to month. Yeah, but, which a lot of people do. Yeah. And there's a lot of people listening that, that are going through the similar scenario. But you had some inheritance money coming to you and your brothers and sisters and you thought you'd do it a little bit differently. I did. And it was, you know, that in itself is a story for a whole other day where that money came from Uncle Jack, who was a, a lodger at my grandmother's boarding house in the day. So let me tell you, that was another yeah. story for yeah. another time. Yeah. But um, he left the three of us um, some money and I realized that there was a clause in it saying I could tap into it. So I did. I sent my uh, parents and the executors of the estate asking to use that money for education. And the reason I did that was even from a very young age, I realized that the best way to learn was to be around people who were doing what Mm. you wanted to do. It wasn't just going to the schools and the academia. It was Mm. actually surrounding yourself with certain people. So I did. So I, uh, so where did you go? I went to Kerry. So you've gone to, what was the high school? Uh, An all all just, you know, a great high school out out in the sticks here somewhere. We'll leave that one. Yeah, leave that one. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. um, So you go to Kerry. Went to Kerry. I remember the first day. Bit daunting? No. See, I was excited, probably because I was very naive. What about your parents? Dad drove me there on the first day. Dad dropped me off uh, in his old old white Ford Falcon and... um, the story he told was that I, I uh, got out of the car, all gusto, bag on my shoulder, big ponytail, <laughs> smiled at him, walked off into the school and he said, he actually sat in the car and cried and he got home pre-mobile phones yep. and said to mum, I don't know how she's going to go. And they sort of waited for me to come home and I barreled in the front door and I was like, I love it. I love it. And I made, you know, mm. the friends I still have now today are the people that I have from those days at school and how much I've learned from them. So that was the first sort of part of me always doing things differently. And just before we you, – and obviously your siblings, your brothers and sisters are a little bit differently. Did they spend their inheritance on education? No. My uh, my brother invested his in property into this day. That's where he's uh, he made a good mark right. for mm-hmm. himself um, and I'm sure you'd, um, you'd love to chat with him. And my gorgeous sister, she spent hers, um, I think, on travel – and also on a little bit of property back and then. That's good. So, but we've got a bit of an age gap. So there's a joke, a running joke in our household that I'm potentially adopted because I'm the uh, mm. third child with the yeah. eight years. So that was part of, you know, I think I looked at it differently because yeah. they were already doing things. But for us, you know, I took from that massive growth and then come to the end of year 12, dad got sick. Dad got really sick really mm. quickly. And you'd think, you know, in part of a health journey, this would be predominantly where I might have taken mm. a, a fall or started to fall into a depression, but I didn't. And um, dad got melanoma when I was oh, yeah 19. And from the time he was diagnosed, we had nine months with him, Danny. So mm. he, he really hit hit him hard. And, and just on that, there's a lot of rural people out there and, and people in the city, of course. The sun now is such a, a huge oh. um, issue with melanomas. And, you know, slip, slop, slap, and, you know, I'm... I've spoke to Jared Roughhead, and yeah. he's one of the lucky ones. Yeah. But uh, your dad, obviously, back in the day, and I can remember my grandfathers and fathers, we, you'd be out in the farm and just have a pair of footy shorts on. Yeah, Nothing else so on. that was dad. Dad would yeah. be out the back every weekend in between dropping us at sport, which was Gee. a huge component of our, our childhood, you know, Saturday and Sunday sport. He'd have the Cobra on, the um, Bond singlet, <laughs> and, th- and the stubbies the with stubby a pair shorts. of bonnies. And he'd be out there the in the Paul garden. The Paul Hogan look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't an an avid sunbaker yeah. or anything to that degree, but he definitely, um, you know, he was in the sun and fair skin and fair hair. So, and that's probably one of the things we we try and get through here is to for all men, um, just to get a full on health check 
once a year. Absolutely. You know, mental, but physical as well. And skin is such a, a, a big part of that as well. Absolutely. Well, you know what's interesting? My brother and I are having this conversation recently about dad and how quickly he got sick. And, and I'm speaking from opinion here. This mm. isn't fact and this isn't um, verified by doctors. But dad was going through a lot of stress in his job just mm. before he got sick. And we saw it as stress unlike any stress he'd ever had in his life. Mm. And we wonder if that contributing factor of the mental pressure he was suddenly under actually played into his physiological body starting to break down or, you know, mm. things occurring there for him. So was he just never going to be able to bounce back from what he was going through? So obviously that's a, you know, a, a tough one for anyone, especially the age of how old were you then? 18. I was 18. So that was a kick in the teeth at 18. And do you think you're... you're your DNA, you'll you'll get through this. You'll it's just a part of oh, your being. Or? It was, and I think because they'd given mum and dad had given us such sort of strong fundamental beliefs in family and community, and I mean our community rallied around us. They yep. really did. Family and friends were so incredibly supportive of all of what we were going through. I think my brother was the one who really sort of brought it forward and stepped up and took over the finance of the house. I mean, no one's prepared, or, or maybe this day and age you are, but back mm. then. Mum wasn't prepared to bury her husband at 52. Mm. That wasn't just no part of their journey. And no so there was no financial preparation around it. So at that point, I started uni and I started um, my degree in advertising and uh, I was working four jobs. So the the push yourself element mm. had really started to kick by this stage. So the old, the old adage, excuse me, <clears throat> um, if you want something done, Get to a busy person, and you're you're that person. I was that person, and to the point. Of Very hard just, to say no. No, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was a big thing, especially when you're younger. Though I think that invincible feeling, you can do anything. Yeah. So you just keep going, you keep going, you push, you push, you push, and you keep going for the next thing. There's never really that living in the moment mm. after a tragedy. It's like, what's next? What can I do? What What do I need to achieve to, I guess, just keep pushing forward? So you're one of those persons on the treadmill. You, you're able to yeah. um, beautifully work on your laptop, answer your phone, <laughs> still work out, and eat as well. That's me. Yeah. Oh, I like that you use the treadmill because I'd probably use the car these days. <laughs> yeah. I'm the, I'm the mum who can discipline the children. Yeah. You know, take the phone call. Yeah. Wipe someone's face. You know, probably shouldn't be holding the phone and eat all at the same. So time. you've you've worked a lot of jobs. You got your uni degree. Got my degree. So, so st- what? Twenty uh, two. Yeah, I was and. Then um, from there, uh, met my now ex-husband and traveled with him, set up uh, an advertising agency and a company with him, which was, again, just traveled the world and went... So when you've set up this company? (laughs) The first company we set up was a production company, which is still going, and that's his, and we were, oh gosh, I would have been 23. Gee. 23 years old. And then at the... Be- so the world's your oyster now. You're just going to yeah. conquer the world. Yep. Living over yeah. in um, Ireland, actually, at the time. and what, um, Whereabouts in Ireland? In County Wicklow. Oh, fantastic. So we were living there, living with his parents to be truthful and, and ready to take on the world and ready to possibly move to... So he's a mad, he's, he's a mad Irishman, is he? <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, we had all these huge plans in life, but sometimes life sort of takes you mm. by... And at this point, we were engaged, um, ready to get married, yep. and um, and then I fell pregnant. What so age? That was the age of twenty-four. Okay, and a lot of a lot of couples go through this. You think, oh, we'll we'll sort of work through it, and we'll you know we'll get a lot of money under our and under the roof. Yeah. We'll look after this. We'll go on holidays. Then all of a sudden, these things do happen. You know, we yeah. all know what how they <laughs> happen. But- <laughs> 
Yep. So, and that was us. It was really, but for me too, having been so driven, yep. um, I had worked over in... So the handbrake just comes on. Felt like it. And I'd worked with some pretty incredible people back in Australia um, before we moved to Ireland in advertising. So I'd met my first mentors there who really, you know, mm. had a way that they could teach you to push yourself. So suddenly thinking, oh, here we are going down this path. But best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I think most people yeah. can say, yeah. you know, you have children, you don't know what you know mm. until you, you go through it. And a bit of pain um, day after that? Not that one. So no. cruised there, came back to Australia. Okay. I think I cruised because I was in such a lost no man's yeah. land. 25 yeah. when I had Ishka. Um, Overseas. I know, came back to okay. Australia. So Sorry. I had the panic attack yep. and did the big, I don't want to be away from the family. Yep. We moved back home, um, moved to, you know, eastern suburbs, moved into Kew and then sort of thought, right, what can we do now? And I was fine. I was just mm. immersed in being a new mum. But also, I have to say, because I was so fast paced, I was bored. So I remember I used to host the dinner parties. So you get for, bored easily? Yeah. And dinner party, you'll just do the whole thing. You'll... Well, it was just like, let's host something for him and let's help with the business and let's do this. And I was still starting projects on the side. So even though I was at home, somehow I'd managed to organize a branding deal mm. for this company and yep. we'd film that and we'd do this. So I was sort of still immersed in it. And then our second child um, came on board and he was just, he was probably a bit of a struggle, I think, even um, during pregnancies. And I, I didn't realize until I look back at it now, mm. all the little things you kind of overlook, like there was a few problems here and there's a bit of a complication there and his birth was quite traumatic. At this stage, I'd then gone out with a friend from uni mm. and started an advertising agency in Melbourne and we hit success really quickly. So it went from zero to a hundred. It felt like overnight and then it was game on and it was at this point that I was really good at having the facade up yeah. and making sure no one could actually see what was going on for me. And this is when the postnatal depression had actually really crept So in. externally, what would um, people say about Monique at this stage? Oh, I had it all. Yeah. I was ticking every box. Yeah. I had the perfect marriage. Yeah. I had the perfect two children. I had a girl and a boy. Yeah. Wasn't I clever? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had... Yeah. pigeon pair. Yeah. Um, the work was brilliant. And the funny thing was, too, at this point, because... Your physical body is now trying to show you the signs that things are wrong. You're not listening on into the cues. I was so thin, but I was working in media. And I remember people telling me when I'd go to functions, you look amazing. Mm. And thinking to myself internally at this point, you've lost your marbles because if only you knew. Mm. So internally, did you, did you, was it, and we'll get to an ad break shortly. Did you, shortly, sorry. Did you internally think, oh, there's something a little bit going on, but no, nah, it's just, you know, mental health for, for someone down the road or they've got some issues or at this stage you were just still gung-ho. At this stage I knew something was wrong because I couldn't stop crying in the shower. Okay. So I'd hide. We'll get back with the story of Monique Slade on, on, on the, uh, the tipping point. No Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks to Waverley Mercedes. Get down there and see Shawnee Evans and the boys down at Springvale Road. Now, Monique, 
just uh, before the ad break, we we're talking about. Can I just say one other thing, just about that quickly? Yes. One of my first car was a Merc, so definitely get down there. Ah, very good. <laughs> wow, I'll, I'll be getting you on this. See, you're, you're in that PR advertising space. No, you know space. what? Because I, I wanted one, and I actually saved oh, well. my backside off. Good girl. And my first car was an old 280. And they last a long time. That's she the beauty did. about. She did. Now, just before the ad break, we we're talking about things are going extremely well externally, but there's. There's a few things bubbling below the surface and um, it sounds like the sheer exhaustion just sent you into a, not not a frenzy, but you just kept going. You thought, I'll I'll beat this. Yeah, it was internally beating the demon of a sign of weakness, I think, in my head. And that was only this, you know, monster I'd created that was my own monster to try and force success. So it was a... You're successful and everyone yeah. can see it. So pull it together. Sort of socks up, princess. You know, toughen up a bit. Yeah. You've been through worse. You've got everything right now. How could mm. you honestly be feeling bad? It was a really selfish, lonely feeling. And I think that in itself perpetuates because you hide it. Because you think, if mm. I say to someone right now, gee, I don't feel okay or something's wrong, surely they're going to look at you and raise an eyebrow and go, really? Mm. In your world? Why? So it was a bit of a keep hiding. And as I kept hiding it, um, I think the signs back then became more and more clear to my ex-husband. So externally, things are going well, but internally you're living, it's fair to say, a bit of a lie. Oh, the monologue yeah. internally is yeah. different to the facade. Yeah. You, you've got the game face on. The bigger know? the front, the bigger the back. Yeah. And I think... You know, you'll wipe away the tears in the bathroom and put your makeup on and walk out the door. And even then, you know, it's not just me. I'm sure there are people out there now listening or even husbands listening yeah. and partners listening and thinking, I know my wife does that. She she does it and then she goes and has coffee and she probably doesn't tell her friends or she does it and she's going to the shops or off to work and not not addressing what's going on. And I was very much the... You know, I'd give you the bird if you'd asked. Yeah. It would have been square and in right. the face and, and I would have told you right where to go because how dare you question And I know me. it's a bit of a colloquialism. I think that's yeah. the way you, yeah. you pronounce it. The word toughen up princess yeah. is in the back of your mind, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. I know it's sort of like a, a term of endearment, but we've got to be very careful of that saying now, don't we? Yeah, and it's the same for guys. You know, this whole, like, men should just sort of suck it up and don't be a wuss and... You know, God, life's not that hard. It's the same for women. Got an issue, grab a tissue. Yeah, and I think women, both men and women today, in today's age, so much expectations around us. Women are now expected to run Mm. the corporate business and the house, and men are supposed to be able to go home and be sensitive after they've run the corporate business. And this is a sweet spot, I reckon, of the show is your partner um, was the one that picked up on it. He did. You knew, but he he was the one to say, hey, come on, Monique. He did, and he, he pushed for us to go to the doctor. He was the one who said, you know, he tried to support me through it. And and we did. We made the appointment to go to the GP and he came with me. And here's how I took that first approach. I strategized. Mm. I had my, my literally my game face and play on. I was ready for the questions and was going to go in and basically start to negotiate my way through this process with the GP. Mm. And you could sort of see my ex-husband thinking, I know what she's like yeah. and I know what she's going to say and do. So at this point, this was probably one of the toughest points I'd have to say in my life because this is when the GP said, Monique, you're suffering from depression from, mm. from what I can see. I want you to go and see someone. And I also think 
it would be really helpful to get you on some medication. And with that, were you sort of looking at me with a bit of a bit of a churlish grin to say, or what's know? wrong with you, mate? Yeah. Well, and because I had already categorised depression for all those people you put in a box to the yeah. left of the room. They were the they're weak, the weakies. Yeah, both guys and girls. They're the, they're the sad, sorry folk who just can't get it together. I wasn't. Yeah. How could I suffer from depression? Right. I was a tough kid mm. who'd gone through so much already. How on earth could, at a good point in my life, this be happening? Mm. And it was this perpetuation of not reading the signs and not knowing, not having enough self-awareness mm. to really let myself recover. And I think this is one of the things... You know, as a sportsman that you yeah. know, the the play hard, recover hard is so important to who we are. Yet a lot of us don't learn it because it feels guilty. No, that's right. Especially as mothers as well. Like if we have time off, you know, or get your nails done, get your yeah. hair done. It's like, hang on, sometimes you need to have this downtime. And unfortunately, the, you know, our ancestors and they're all, you know, got great emotional knowledge, but... The adage of um, the more you drink, the harder you should work the next day and then yeah. just work it off. <laughs> Sweat through it. And just do it all again that next night. Yeah. Eventually, you know, you either got a heart attack or, or a breakdown. And push through it. And yeah. I, don't, I think it probably did happen back in, in the day. It just wasn't acknowledged no, as much right. as it is now. And that's why we have this show, just to, to talk about it. So when when the doctor actually says that to you, do you, do you live in denial for a while? So... I think I went home hopeful because I felt really supported and ready to sort of tackle what was coming. And it was then that I had to go and or see yeah. um, a psychologist. So for me, this was the interesting part. It took three. It took three psychologists to find the right one. Mm. And the reason being, in my opinion, again, this is my opinion, <laughs> the first two were idiots. And that was because I didn't click with them. Were they looking back now or not? No. No, they're no. probably incredible yeah. people. But yeah. my my approach to the situation was I didn't I kind of went into a bit of a schoolgirl mode. Don't yeah. tell me and I didn't want to hear. And so but had I not persisted, this was the interesting thing. Had I not persisted to find someone who who suited me, it's kinda of like dating. Mm. You know, you don't just stay with the one person because it's the right thing. You you find the person that actually gels with you. And mm. this person was so brilliant in their approach. It was like the yeah. the switch for me. It was enough for me to say, I actually need to figure out what I want to do moving forward. And I think the big key for me too was um, this depression was postnatal and it was undiagnosed. Yeah. It had gone okay. undiagnosed for 18 months okay. before um, mm. we'd gone through the process. And I think... Had I'd given myself a break and not tried to do everything, would it have come on? Maybe, maybe mm. not. But I think this uh, trying to do it all is where my downfall yeah. was. So life. the strategies, um, it's a bit like, you know, you're in PA, you're in advertising, you, you, you strategize every day. Yeah. But you didn't strategize about your, your, own, your own health. And that was the self-awareness piece. Yeah. Because I couldn't really see what I needed to do for my health. So one of the things I think that was so important for me, and this was just a personal um, approach to getting well, mm. was I did want to get well and I wanted to actively understand what what was causing this for me. And it was lack of sleep, mm. naturally. was a massive part of it. The biological changes in my body from having mm. children. Um, and I'd stopped taking care of the basics, eating properly, watching my mm. alcohol and food intake. So what I needed to do here was to make that 
the new exercise. norm. Yeah, the new norm again. And I was quite an active mm. teenager and active in yep. my early 20s. But when I had my first child and started working, it was the, the what most women say and most men, I don't have time. Mm. And that's the one thing for me now is the non-negotiable. And what, yeah, so the strategizing and then the self-assessment <clears throat> is something um, I think we all take for granted. Well, not granted. We just put it in the back burner, yeah, don't we? Well, I just think, I mean, how did you deal with it? What was it that you... Uh, a bit like what you talked about then. I didn't sleep for three weeks. Yeah. And basically lost my whole function to to actually do day-to-day things. It, that's it. It's the basics, yeah. isn't it? So I think even for guys out there too... If you're looking for signs, don't go jumping down maybe your your, your new partner if they've just had a baby yeah. down their throat, but looking for the the things that seem just not like themselves that they'd naturally tell you. Like you said, if you just can't think straight. And I, I think my partner remembers me saying something about flies. Mm. And he said, you kept mentioning there was a lot of bugs or flies mm. around the house. And it took him a second, but he went, I was so sleep deprived that I was actually hallucinating. Yeah, mine was a bit of a buzzing noise now. Don't want to get too bogged down in the personal side of things, but <laughs> go for it. Um, the self-assessment and the strategizing—you've you've separated from your partner, who was the one that actually got you to go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, and obviously, part of that self-assessment was was you two obviously coming to a conclusion yeah. that not working, not working. I think, and there was a lot of different components at play mm. in our life journey as as a as a couple and as yeah. a, a married partnership, and having two small children, it was a very very hard journey. But you know, one of the things I'm I'm lucky to say that you know he's repartnered to yeah. a beautiful person. I'm repartnered, which and is great. The four of us have the opportunity to. Look out for each other, and they have. I can say now to this day, there's moments where we all look out for each other. We look out for the children, and we all spend Christmas together. And that's what, yeah, well, that's fantastic. You, you told me that, and I thought that, you know, back in the day, it'd be just exit stage left. Yeah. Everyone's walking on eggshells yeah. and uh, tippy toes, and I think that that's fantastic in the, the modern family society that we don't have to drag the kids, and, and more importantly, yourself. So. There's a lot of people out there probably listening, gee, I probably should go and see a marriage counsellor. And probably a part of it is, as it's turned out, that that could have been a, an impact that you, you're staying together just because of the kids. Yeah. But you've only got one, one Monique. Life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's the hardest journey as well. What you know what's right for you will and can upset a lot of other people on your own journey. Yeah. But you've got to stay true to who you are and what you're doing. But in that... This is the big learning lesson I think I have, and I'm still going through it. I'm sure if you um, yeah. interviewed my ex, he'd, he'd he'd say the same thing. You've got to lose your ego when it comes to a separation and and helping other people. I know today if I relapsed or went down that path that there'd be support there. I mean, I've got a mm. very supportive partner now yeah. um, who's incredible and always on Puts the Puts a handbrake on you now and again. Yeah, he's great. I think he reads me better than anyone I think ever has. How many sets of brake pads do you go through? <laughs> so this is an awesome. interesting one because yeah. I've been down this road and you have and a lot of people listening have um, this journey of the selfishness of trying to get better Yeah, yeah. Is, is so hard for your partner because they're thinking, what the, Danny, why do you have to go for a ride? Um you know, for for three hours yep. instead of most guys, 40 minutes on a bike. Yeah. And I try to explain to her that 
it's actually a part of me coming home and being in the moment. Yep. Because if I'm not, I get anxious. And you spiral. I've had a just a busy life that my body needs to, to burn metabolism. Yep. And if it doesn't, I switch off and do other things and try and do 10 things at once. So I need to get tired physically. And do you think yours is also, you've been in the media, and I say this just for having yeah. a media background as well, not like yours, but being in the media and being so fast-paced and oh. knowing how you have to be in front of well, the game, you're, you're always ahead of the pack, so to speak. So you never switch off your brain. No, you don't. So and if you don't have this time out, how do you know yourself again? And that's why, you know, we'll, we'll get to um, later on some of the strategies in place and mine's being mindful. Yeah. And that's the big one, being in the moment. And you're right, with the media, and I love my job, but the media is one of those jobs where, you know, the, there's 12 o'clock Saturday, people want to know what's going on footy, so yeah. you've got to live and breathe it. And then when the games start, you just can't go to the producer. You know what, I'm feeling a bit tired that I don't want to talk too much. I don't really want to have a look at the tactics of both coaches. And, you know, I'm really just going to sit here and just say nothing. So from 12 to 6, you're on and your yes. adrenal levels are up. And that's that's the thing that I had to, to focus on, that, that that's the time to be on. But then that's the green light and there's got to be an amber light and there's got to be a stop. Yeah. Because if you don't stop and you're on the green all the time, your body's either going to fall down physically yeah. or fall down mentally. And that's what, what happened to me. And that's obviously what, what's happened to you. And I think that those self-assessments now, are, and that's where it's hard when people say, God, you know, this guy, you know, this person's got a few mental health issues. God, they're selfish because they're, you know, they're going to yoga every morning, but they've, yeah. they've got to, when they're going through the process of trying to work out what works for them, you've just got to, um, Treat them with the utmost respect. And isn't it interesting, though, in this day and age where we're so fast-paced, all of us, and so switched to, on to anyone at any moment, at any time, can be reached, is that actually just the difference in society from way back in the day? Yeah. That there was no such thing as being in the moment because you were in moments that were uninterrupted. Whereas now, the world is so fast oh. that if you take these, yeah, as, as you show me your phone and the list of calls it's you've just, just missed... But, you know, you, you don't have this self-reflection time and you don't have time to rebuild your energy. And, um, I mean, I'll talk to you about that, I think, if yeah. you've got to go to a break. But yeah. the guys I work with at the moment, they're incredible and their mm. whole ethos is around watching and building your energy. Well, my up. wife and my three daughters, um, that's why I've got all the grey hairs <laughs> and flat broke. Um, <laughs> she's very good, Anita, at dinner. And, look, up, we, our eldest daughter lives with her boyfriend now. When we have dinner, we put the phones in the drawer. Yeah, that's a good one. We've, and I laugh now, and I, I, I shouldn't laugh. I see families go to restaurants, they and they're there. all on their phone. Sad, isn't it? What is that about? Yeah, it's it's addiction. We've got a lot. We've a got a lot show, of work Danny. to do. No, no, we've got a lot of work to do. And also, I love people walking their dog with earphones on, but I don't. I, I it gets up my goat when I hear people talking to someone on the phone when they're walking. I'm thinking. Go, have a look at the trees. It's spring. Yeah. Smell the different airs when you're walking through a forest. Stop and smell don't, the roses. Don't give the, the roses windburn. Smell them. <laughs> no Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley. Thanks a lot, Adrian. As I said, uh, we've got some great sponsors out there. Chemist Warehouse, get down there to get the Christian Ronaldo 
um, perfume or aftershave, I should say. <laughs> the show my age there, Monique. And, of course, uh, Waverly Benz Mercedes get down to Shawnee Evans and the guys. And this is the, the segment where we've gone through your journey, Monique, and now we're into, not, not well, just about the present, but some of the strategies that actually help you function and... You know, your life now is is back on an even keel. But yeah. and we're gonna talk about when it just gets off the axis a little bit. You've you've repartnered. Yes, I have. Um you've got a new family again. I do. I've gone back for a, a, another baby and and that's a hard thing too. So once you come out the other side in recovery, I think really interesting for me, part of my journey was I wanted to get off the meds. Yeah. So I had to have a really good strategy first around what was that going to look like? And it meant exercising mm. regularly and it meant yep. sleeping properly and learning, relearning myself mm. and learning what was good for me. Like you said, being in the moment and mentors, being around people that you have true trust. Trust, with that's a word. And yeah. that you can, you can drop anchor on and yeah. they'll either direct you out of it or yeah. they'll soothe you through it. You know, they'll. they'll and you need, yeah. as I said, everyone needs those and it's interesting some of my best friends um, had no idea what I was going through. No, like, it was just, no, no, Danny, you're You'll be right. the ex-senior coach. You're the media star. You're, you're an ex-captain. You know, you're, Come on now. You're, mate. Yeah, pat you'll, the be back. Ri- you'll be right in the come morning. On, God, what, you know, you, let's get out and have a few beers and start oh. hanging a bit of crap on each other again. What's going on? Yeah, and, you know, I was, I'm very lucky. A massively supportive family. Incredible friends. My girlfriends are... Those girls that you can pick up the phone and you, even if you haven't spoken to each other in a little while because of life and family, they're there. But I have to say kudos to Paul, who's my partner. He is just, you know, he's the guy who is incredible yeah. and he's, you know, knows of my journey, but he's also so supportive of guys going through it. He has friends and people he knows going through it. When you've had the, the new bub, yeah. were you obviously because um, of past experience, yeah. uh, the postnatal uh, depression. Um, was that in the back of your mind to say, okay, I'm, I'm aware of it? We were pre-prepared. Yeah. So this is how much self-awareness we yeah. had together as a team and a family. So even my sister, and you know, I love her for this. She's got four, yeah. four girls. So she's incredible at watching it as well. So she said, we ne- know the signs. If this and this and this happen... We made a pact. Yeah. It was basically going to be, we'll intervene and you go and get a So for out. men out there right now who have had children with their partner. And something's uh, changed. What's that? And something's changed. Something's changed in your partner, whether it's um, lack, lack of, um, you know, sleeping together. Um, you got to give her a bit of a break, mate. Bit of a break, <laughs> but that those sort of things go... Because the bub's around and she's she's a bit anxious, you you're actually got to be a really good um, litmus test for your partner too, yeah, don't you? you do. As a male, to one give them space, but then keep checking in. Keep checking in. You got to ask think, those because questions. the male thinking, okay, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, you got a bub. It's not where where's my time? Yeah, and that's the big one, and that's why I think even saying before mentors and, and networks. Around families, you know, we're blessed with Paul's parents. They are so hands-on deck. Mm. So we get extra help. I mean, we also have a nanny. We're in a financial position to have that extra support. Some people aren't. So this is around, as mates even, of people who've just had their first or second. And 
you see them struggling, go over with food or go over and when the baby's asleep, say, guess what, guys? Just go down the road to the pub for a drink or around the block That's for right. a walk, whatever it is. It took me a while to get used to it, but you know, I was always the number one with Anita, but now the three daughters. And you slid, didn't you? <laughs> and we've got we've got Frenchie yep. and Winston, our two dogs. So I'm fifth, sixth in, in the picking line. order. But I, but it came it, it took a while for me to, to get and I say that flippantly, but it's probably where it's at. Yeah, it does. Um, and it doesn't And we it feel used, it. It used to really Freak me out. And we feel it as partners and wives. We see that you were, uh, you know, everything. That's and right. now we've got to focus on something else. So we're even more torn. So we feel pulled in so many directions. So then when you say to us, where's my, where's my time together? We're like, what time? And we're so tired. You're right. And the other thing I want to touch on is partners go through all this um, hard yards because there's no perfect marriage. Let's face it. No. Um, you see these things in the tabloids, you, you often laugh, but um, the the your partner or your wife, or it could be your husband, it yeah. could be your house husband, they go through raising the kids, get to, they all go through school, you've worked their backside off, you've got them through private school or whatever school it is, it doesn't matter what it is, but you've got all your kids out and you call about the empty nesters and, they, and one of the partners then decides to leave because their kids have gone. Their job's changed. Their job change, and but they need, a ba- they need a balance as well, don't they? Yeah. And and my wife, to her credit, she is a very smart girl. She's in event management, and she's up with her sister with her property on her horses. So she's now she's been working on that for three years. Yep. So, and this is where I think you've got so much to add um, for our audience out there that y- your partner, once the kids are gone, you've got to you've got to start planning for the future because once they walk out the door, you often hear. <laughs> And it's probably more mums at the moment, but yeah. in the you know now we're getting men staying home. But you know probably seventy five percent or eighty percent would be the the mum who we share it. So raise the kids. Our house, we're both. But when the kids leave, yeah, I'm talking about in the past. When the kids leave, the mum's looking around and saying, "Well, what's my my job? life's just stopped." Yeah, where's my life gone? You know what? It's so interesting that you say that. And I was thinking about this pre-show. Uh, I. Th- Quentin Bryce said it, and if I've quoted her wrong to anyone yep. out there, I apologise, but she said, you can have it all, just not at the same time. Spot on. So it's this, it is a bit of a balance. Like when you're in the thick of being with young children, you know, give yourself the break if yep. you're not the highest flyer you set yourself up to be, or if your yep. company isn't running at the the pace that you had dreamed it would be, or what you were doing previously. It's about, like you said, being in the moment with what you've got. Because things will change again. You'll look back and think, gosh, I got through that. Or gosh, this is where I'm at now. And for partners out there as well, don't beat yourself up if sometimes, you know, you don't want to come home to the screaming children and you don't want to walk in the door and help because you've had a day at work and you think, really? I want time off too. So it's this balance in life for both of us to say it's time to have the breaks. But the support is always, I think, and like you said, no, no perfect marriage. The, the closest thing to perfection you're going to have is trust. Yep. If you can trust one another to ask the tough questions and answer them, I think you've got gold. So what are the, what are the three, and there might be five, and you know, I've, you know, I've got about 10 things to keep me on the axis. What are, for, for people out there, um, what, are, what are the three things to keep you in a, in a good, healthy, mental health state of mind? Um, exercise number one, yeah. non-negotiable. Find a time every day, and everyone goes really every day. I get up with my partner around five a.m. sometimes earlier, and we're in bed, you know, anywhere between nine and ten mm. p.m. So 
there is time. There is time there to is do time. you know anything. And the guys I work with at the moment, um, Kane and Tate, they are they are just incredible at finding time to go for a walk or yeah. even a meditation of some sort, something that you can do. Are you into that? I am. It took a while. I really am. One thing I did the other day for the first time. Because you've got a time, monkey mind, like um, mine. Yeah. I did um, uh, Wim Hof breathing. Have you done that? Not quite. I've done, it took me about 35 different scenarios till I found the one that suited me. Wow, I did that. And I have to say, you know, very, very incredible for another form of just um, sort of relaxation and awareness. So that's one, obviously, exercise and meditation is one. The other one for me is having trusted mentors and I think the tough conversations. Mm. So I'm always one around asking the tough conversations of friends and partners and I always want it asked of me. Mm. So going deep, I guess. You yeah, know, that's really, right. Really, truly, like, are you okay, Monique? Well, that's the other thing. Um, you've been there, done that. Are you, when I say done that, no. um, in the mental health side, can you read people better now that you've had a breakdown? Yeah, definitely. And you, could, you can tell people are struggling? Yeah, and I think... Because of that big front that they're putting on? The facade's there... It's protective mechanism because if you scratch the surface, I don't know what you're going to find. So please don't. Mm. You know, people do that. For me, and I get asked this a lot, you know, Monique, what do I do with my wife? I, I see her struggling, but I ask if she's okay and she sort of brushes me off or she's, you know, really busy focused on something else at the moment. I can't get her back. The attention's gone. It's just persistence. What about strategizing and prioritizing your time? And again, people say, oh, God, they're selfish. It's your time. But I... If I don't spend, um, even today, I've got a an hour at some stage today after about five, I'm going to the golf range. Yeah. And I actually just focus on the golf and I put my earphones in. No one can talk to me because I've got yeah. my earphones in. I'm not being ignorant. No. But that's my time. And the goal setting around that, because we're so good at our iPhone and our diary on our, on our laptop yeah. or our iPad to, to, oh, you know, hear people, how's your day been? Oh, Incredible. I've had back to back to back <laughs> meetings. I'm thinking, I'm busy. you wanker. <laughs> yeah. And I say that in a respectful way. I said, mate, I know you've had back to back to back, but do you have 15 minutes where you just go sit out on a park bench on a beautiful daylight today and just look at the sky? Be human. And I, I used to look, see people sitting, looking at, you know, we've got a beautiful bay. I see them just sitting in the seat and I thought, good on you. Mm. They're just sitting there looking out to sea. And they might be thinking about their past ones. They might be thinking about – so the big thing that I – I'm not sure what you, um, Monique, and I'll let you because I'm doing all the talking. <laughs> Do you have three, two or three goals per day or weekly or it's just a part of your – I think it's now become a, a just sort of an embedded part of how my day works because it's with children yeah. and working. So especially with travel. With travel, it's just like, right, like you said, in between this dinner and what I've got to yeah. do next – I'll go for a run or I'll hit the gym um, and then I'll have downtime. And at home, it's the same. And even for us at home, if it feels like it's a stretch some days, the strategy is to find time to do something that yeah. is uplifting. So yeah. going for a walk with the kids around the block is one strategy. Like something small, mm. downtime is the big thing. And it, like you said, it's not selfish to want to go and read your book. It's not selfish to want to go for a walk by yourself or do your own thing. Isn't it good... Um my daughters have actually taught me a bit. They are very good at chilling out. Yeah. I said, what are you doing, Chelsea, Danielle, or Keely? Just chilling. I love it. And and in the past, I'm thinking, you lazy little <laughs> wretch, you get out there and do something. But, they're, you know, they've got more pressures on us because they're, they're in a 
really e-commerce on. world. They're switched on all Instant. the time. So but they they, they learn to chill. So we're, we're caught right now in this sort of in-between generations. But, look, it's been really uh, great to have you on uh, this evening, Monique. Is there one thing you want to leave the, the listeners with? I think that um, remove all stigmas from both men and women when it comes to mental health. And I think um, just be honest. Have those open and honest conversations with the people around you and don't feel like you have to fix someone's problem, but just be there. I think that's the key. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I'm sure um, a lot of people get a lot out of our, our conversation Thank today. Thank you for having me, Danny. Thank you so much. Good Cheers. Girl. Cheers. No Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley.